Hi, thank you for joining me. This is the Herbert Kane Podcast, and I'm so glad that you are here. I'm Simon Osimo, a Brit living in America and a former UK police detective. Now, what is this podcast all about? Well, I've learned a thing or two about the power of a positive mindset, having been born into a mixed-race family with an absent father, and I've seen many transformations in people's lives from my time in the British police, and I've had many transformations in my own life, and I want to share these life lessons with you. So each week on the podcast, I interview people like me who have found their life's purpose, overcome adversity, or created a positive mindset to help you kickstart your life and journey. But before we get into today's conversation, I want to invite you to join my Facebook community for some great after-episode discussion so we can grow in community together. But okay, let's dive into this week's episode. I'm talking to Josh Conley, a resilience coach and addiction defeater from the UK. Now we are discussing some really deep subject, tackling fatherhood, something that is not often spoken about in an open and authentic way. Now, if you are a father or a son, I know you're going to get so much out of this if we have an open conversation about the importance of positive male role models in our life. And also what us men can do to overcome adversity. Now, will you join me as I sit down this week with Josh Connolly. Well, Josh Connolly, welcome to the Herbert Kane podcast. Thanks, Simon. Good to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Josh, it's been, been really nice to get to know you for the last few weeks. I know we've got a mutual friend in Chris Patel from the Tales to Inspire podcast. And I listen to your podcast that you do um, bi-weekly with Hass. So really excited to share you with my American audience, which predominantly is where people listen into. So um, maybe start just telling the audience a little bit about who you are and, and where you live. Okay, so I am from England in the UK. I live in a place called Royal Wooten Bassett, which isn't as as royal as it I was might say, sound. You have to put the royal in there, Josh. Didn't I you? always put it in there, yeah, because yeah. it because it sounds brilliant, doesn't it? But uh, actually, when you start to know about it, you mean you, you kind of recognise it means nothing like it sounds. I work as a resilience coach, so I work with individuals and organisations around the world, delivering what I would call a new idea of resilience, getting people to understand resilience in a slightly different way and and to gain new perspectives around what that means. Ultimately, about coming back to ourselves and understanding understanding ourselves, who we are as people and how we get our needs met. Um, I'm in that work. I do that work because of my a lot to do with my life experiences and the things that I went through in my life, um, many of which I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, today. So yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's what I do in the world today. Yeah, I know, Josh, when me and you spoke a couple of weeks ago, we ended a conversation saying, okay, well, let, let's talk about fatherhood. And I should say that you're a father of um, of six kids. So there's, um, That's there, there's some men that, <laughs> yeah, there's some men that are going to be like shaking their heads thinking, oh my word. And there's, there's some women that might be thinking that, that, that poor, those poor women, but it's, um, but so, so you're, I'd consider you a, a, an expert on the subject because you've got six kids, so you know a little bit about fatherhood, but, but both me and you have had different sort of paths around fatherhood. I had an absent father, never met my father. Your birth father was in your life and there was times when he wasn't in your life. So uh, it'd be sort of really great to get some different perspectives on that. But maybe Josh, just give us a couple of minutes about what some of your battles were and then sort of tie those into your sort of dad around your upbringing. 
So look, I had a, uh, my problems really were, were were with addiction, particularly in my sort of teenage years. Society will tell you I fell into the wrong crowd. I I actually believe that sentence doesn't really make sense. I, I didn't fall. I think we say fall because it sounds accidental, and then we don't have to you know look at why that happens. I I went there, uh, and it wasn't the wrong crowd. I started knocking about with a load of other young people who's who had been abandoned in some way in their childhood. So that's the, kind of the way that I see it now. But I had, you know, terrible relationship with alcohol and drugs that led me down path where my first daughter was born when I was 18 years old. And I'd always known, you know, you know, when my first daughter was born, I always knew once I remember feeling like the game's up and I thought to myself, that's it now. I've got to knuckle down, right? I can't do, I can't create for my child. It doesn't matter where I am in my life. I can't create for my child what was created for me. So I've got to knuckle down. So I married a mum, despite it being a hugely toxic relationship. And we went on to have four children together. People talk about about a broken home and and you know I stayed with my daughter's mum and went on to have like I say four children together and it was that act really that created the broken home rather than avoided it and I, I don't really like the term broken home but if we were going to use it uh the act of staying together is what created it um and 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 so you know what looking back I sort of think that mistakes, mistakes, probably the wrong word, but these things happen. And actually you need to then do the next right move. And I didn't do the next right move. I did what I thought was right in the way that I would be viewed. I went on, you know, like I say, to have four children. And then things sort of changed for me when I was around the age of 24, 25 years old, when I stopped drinking alcohol and, and, and my life began to turn around. And what I started to realize then is that a lot of my struggles throughout my life could be traced back to the childhood that I'd lived. My dad was an alcoholic, so he died when I was nine years old. And I used to say that I don't remember that, but the truth is, is that, that I do remember that. And look, we can talk about all the traumatic things that I experienced with my dad. And there were lots of those traumatic things. But ultimately, the biggest wound, the, the, the thing that affected me the most, and, and still does to a degree today, was was the absence of a, of a father relationship, never feeling the love of a, of, of a father and knowing what that felt like. And I think that wound is one that plays out in a lot of people's lives and, 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 and so often without them even realizing. Yeah, and one of the things um, I picked up on in your part there is uh, the, the feeling of not feeling love, mm. but also not receiving the validation of a father. Because for me, I mean, sometimes I've often wondered, Josh, you know, would I want, and I understand my dad was a very nice guy by all accounts, but like, would I want this bad guy in my life who occasionally <laughs> might give me validation? Um, or do I want the absence of validation and have to try and sort of learn and, and deal with it? But I think validation as men is something that we, that we seek. And we don't often sort of talk about or discuss. I mean, even as a nine-year-old, did you ever sort of feel validated by by your dad as a as a man, as a person? No, no, never. Uh, and you know, and some of the big questions, the burning questions that I'll always have is is wondering, you know, how my dad truly felt about me. Did you know? I look at my own kids sometimes, and I think to myself, I wonder if my dad ever looked at me like this. And look, the truth is, is that I believe he probably did. But I never got to I never got to know that. I never got the recognition of that. And I think, you know, he was around in the way that he was. And we have to understand that children um, are naturally trying to attach to their parents, regardless of what their parents are like. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand is, you know, the ways in which we will um, abandon ourselves, right, and come away from who we really are to try and attach to them. And that unhealthy attachment that I experienced as a kid and as a child, you know, is something that... Uh, is a wound that's still very much in my life. And it's a wound that I tried to mend myself with 
with addiction, with gangs when I was a kid, with football violence when I was a young adult. When you look at those things and you break them down and you pull them apart, all of them can be traced back to that experience. And that's not about, um, that's not about taking away any accountability from myself as a human being. It's just about understanding how I reach those places in my life, you know? Yeah, I really um, relate to that because one of the things that I feel, you know, and I've had a few issues in my life, um, that's for sure, you know, and I think I know one of them, that sort of looking at my sons, either feeling disconnected or trying to connect with them is often challenging because I found that there is no roadmap for me. I've got, you know, um, I have no real perception of what's a or didn't really have a perception of what a father should do because I've never seen that type of relationship. And I think that's mostly where I've struggled. Uh, a friend mm. once said to me, you know, Simon, don't be too hard on yourself because you're living your life with no roadmap. You know, it's like sometimes when I'm in the office working and want to do stuff and it's Simon time, I, I haven't seen that when actually I should be giving my time to, to my sons and stuff. So it's not necessarily learned behaviors. It's also the absent of being able to learn positive behaviors. I mean, when you got to 18, Josh, and became a dad, I mean, were you doing what you thought was right? or what were you basing fatherhood off at that point? Well, I, had never, I wasn't really basing it off of anything. I thought I need to show up. And of course, I, you know, I wanted more than anything in the world to show up in the way in which I was supposed to, but I had no idea what that looked like. To be honest with you, at that stage of my life, I would have been incapable of it anyway. Because when, my, you know, when, 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 when babies are born, babies don't have a rational part of their brain. They're, 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 they're just a big ball of emotion. And I had no idea how to do emotions. And what I recognize today is that if I can't be with myself in my own emotions, then I won't be able to be with my kids in their emotion. And so I remember I used to think, I can't wait till you get a little bit older so that I can interact with you and have a laugh and a joke with you, right? And a lot of that was to do with the fact that they didn't have a rational part of their brain. And so I didn't know how to relate to them because I was numb emotionally. I couldn't tune into my emotions. I didn't know how to be present. I'd learned to detach from that kind of stuff, you know? So that was like the big struggle when my kids were young, when I was a young adult. If you look at my two children that have been born since I, you know, since my life has changed and I've remarried and 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 I'm with my wife today, I find it much easier to be with them in their initial years, something that I couldn't, I was incapable of doing in, you know, when I was much younger. And that, of course, has an, has an impact on the children. And so, and so these things get passed down, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, I, I think I can relate a lot within our, our stories because I think I just wrote a note here about the role of a father as well. And I think that isn't spoken enough about either in schools or just in society um, because as men, quite often we don't like to, and I'm going to stereotype and be prejudiced towards half my audience, but particularly English men, I know from my thing, we don't necessarily like to be open. Here in the US, I think people are a bit more open um, with their emotions and feelings, but I've been gone 10 years, so I could be being too harsh against my, 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 my English friends. But yeah, I think we just don't tend to open up and talk about the, the role of a father. I can remember being, um, I think I was 13 or 14 when I, I made the decision I was never going to ask you know, my mum what my dad's name was and I was just going to push that side of my life um, away. But so I think that the role of a father is never really, or can often not be defined but also isn't really discussed anywhere. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you have any experience of, of that, Josh? Is it's a really good point. And listen, I, I'll go so far as to say in, in, in England, in Britain, we're emotionally inept, right? That, that's my belief. I don't say that with any kind of anger. I say it because I think it's true. I think, um, and actually, I think we hide behind the guise of, of it being British. Oh, it's just, we're British. That's the way we are. 
stiff up a little, that type of stuff. It is, yeah. yeah I, I, like, I think that's just a way of hiding. As British people, we've been a lot of things. Do you know what I mean? We've yeah, been a lot yeah. of things. And a we're, lot we're of them very things... good at hiding in plain sight, aren't we? For sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of those things need changing, right? Because they're not good. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said about that. And, you know, in my darkest days when I was really struggling and I just had my four kids at the time, I used to feel like I hated them sometimes. They'd come on the weekends and I didn't know how, I didn't know what to do. And I'd never heard anybody talking about feeling like they hate their kids. And what would people say if I had have said that? And then, you know, you don't go, oh, all I did at the time was, was in pubs and bars, yeah? Nobody in those places were talking about how do I be, how do I show up and be a good dad? Because I don't know. Or maybe I'm struggling with being a dad and I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, those simple conversations, um, and, you know, you mentioned Hass. Me and Hass recently had a conversation about it on a podcast where we were talking about, you know, things our dad never taught us. Dad, uh, Hass was, Hass never met his dad. Hass it died when he was very, very young. And, you know, the simple act of like putting oil in the car. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and I remember doing that with my children and my wife saying to me, why don't you take Maya, our four-year-old daughter out with you? And I was like, what, to put oil in the car? She's like, yeah, show her how to do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Because my wife grew up watching her dad tinkering all of the stuff, you know? Yeah. Like when he was, I don't know, changing a light bulb or, or hanging a picture, he'd be like, come and watch me how I do this. When I don't even know how to hang a picture, Simon, still. Do you know what I mean? This is yeah. because, because I, never, I, never, I never saw an adult do that. And I didn't. I was never taught to do that. And I never had a dad who I could just be like, wow, I want to be like you. Yeah. Like, look how amazing my dad. You know, I didn't have that dad who was a superhero. I didn't have it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you, it's interesting to say that because that, that is a true point. I mean, my mum did an incredible job in raising me and my siblings. And I think um, part of the resilience that she's given me, stealing it from you, Josh, I think is the, I'm a good figure it out type of guy. You know, if you, if you give me a problem, I can figure it out. Because from a young age, I had to, because I was a man of a household, as in, hey, you know, hang this. I didn't always do it very well, Josh. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there, there was a few wall, walls that were wallpapered that were most probably weren't, weren't very good. But, <laughs> but, you know, I can figure most things out. And I guess for me as a dad, one of the challenges is because you know, this means templates aren't there. With my two sons, what I want to do is play video games all day and I'm going to like Home Depot, which is like B&Q, and I'm saying, okay, come with me as I buy this stuff. And I said, no, Dad, we want to stay at home. And for me, one of my struggles is I have to say to him, I have some honest conversations, like, I might not always be here, so I need to teach you or you to understand so you can do this. You know, it's about training mm. a child up in the way they shall go and they won't depart of it. It's not, I don't just want me to do things for you. I want you to, to learn this stuff. So if I'm ever not here, you have the opportunity to, to show, show the world and show people you can do stuff. Because for me, I have to figure all this stuff out. So I want to I wanna teach you, but it's also a challenge for me. My sons don't always want to be taught. So <laughs> as I said, how I started this conversation, be careful what you wish for. Is it a bad dad or someone who's not there? So it's like... Yeah, but it is true. But, but even that, the, you know, the very act of you making an attempt, right? And having that conversation, you know? I, like, this is stuff that, you know, you yourself probably to agree, but certainly I know me, I didn't have that. I didn't, I didn't have a man who, who cared, you know? And so I didn't know what that was like. And, and I grew up, you know, I didn't know how to relate to other men. I didn't know how to like be in a, like a loving relationship with a man. I mean, loving as in a friend, like loving a friend in the way that you're supposed to. I knew how to be like, lads, 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 I've got your back. Let's go and have a yeah. fight. Right. 
I, I knew how to connect with them on that level, but I, di- I didn't know how to hold space for somebody. I didn't know how to care about somebody like that. And so I found, you know, unhealthy ways of doing that, really. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to say it because I've got a good friend over here in the US and whenever we meet for, for lunch or something, he'll always end the conversation with, I love you. And mm. for me, Josh, I can tell you, I, I just cringe and it's really hard for me. And he says, he, I mean, he's, a, you know, he's an older, older guy, a sort of mentor, you know, um, really helping me in life um, you know, to give me those sort of a, a positive role model. But it's just not in my DNA because I've not been around it. Because when mm. you do feel that love from someone, it's like, well, that's, that's a bit sort of weird. So I, I'm getting more used to it, but it does make me uncomfortable. And he doesn't say it to make me uncomfortable, but that's how I feel. Because like we started a conversation, I've never had that validation of a yeah. man saying, well done. Um, I always craved it. So when I have it, it's really also difficult to, as you said, to, to work out, well, what does this, what does this look like? How do I then reciprocate? Is it like, so like, you know, that, that back hug or what yeah. do you say? Because you know, so. it's the same with hugs, right? Like, I don't like them. Yeah. I'm not like, like, you know, and you do them with men and I, I do that tap on the back of sort of like, here you go, this, you know, this is finished now hmm. because I'm wounded in those, in those spaces. Right, because yeah. I, because I, because of, because of the experiences that I had when I was a kid. And so, when did it start to change? And so, I know that your your dad, um, natural dad, died when you were nine. Then you did have a sort of stepdad um, mm. in your life. You had your um, first four kids from eighteen. I mean, when when did it start to change? And what made you realise? Well, maybe there's more to fatherhood than this. I know you mentioned some of your addictions stopped around twenty three, twenty four. Was that? back connected when did the sort of transformation start to occur like i'd always known deep down that, that i wanted to be a good dad i remember as a kid right when people were picking what they wanted to be when they were older policemen firemen doctors whatever it might be yeah i wanted to be a dad and not be a drunk that's all i wanted and i knew at 21 22 i was failing or at least on one what well, <laughs> at least on one part of it i was, doing, yeah. I was having the kids right You're having the kids yeah yeah i was having the kids, kids about responsibility the, yeah i was failing on the showing up as a good dad part and so I, I i always knew as the drink was getting a hold of me that i wanted to stop and i made a decision on i stopped drinking on the the 14th of may 2012 um and i planned to take my own life nine months later and that was because I couldn't deal with the ways that I felt. Drink had never been my problem. It was an attempt at a solution. And what happened was, is I, I went to see my kids for one last time. And because I knew I was going to die, the past became irrelevant and the future was like non-existent. And for the first time ever in my life, I was present with my kids in a way that I'd never experienced before. Everything that clouded me throughout my life didn't matter because I was ending it. And I didn't have no worry about the future. And so I was like in this, I remember cuddling my daughter and thinking, wow, this is what it's about. And it was in that weekend that I changed my mind. But more importantly than changing my mind, I then started to realize that that's what it's about, this parenthood thing. And about nothing else. My, like, you know, I've gone on in the years that have followed now to create my business. I get to do this work all over the world. You know, I, like I'm very, you know, grateful for what I get the opportunity to do. You know what? My kids, they, don't, they, they couldn't care less. They are completely unimpressed by what I do. When I go to them and go, I've just delivered this webinar at this massive global company, they do not care, right? And they do not care when I buy a new T-shirt that I once never would have been able to buy, right? 
and they don't care about the new car that I've just got. And they don't care about that. They care about when I sit down and when I'm with them and when I put my phone away and I be with them. And they're the moments that they care about. And I think the reality is, is that we all find that difficult and we need to talk about that. You know, we need to talk about, you know, how hard it's sometimes when my daughter wants to play snakes and ladders and we're playing it. And after about three goes each, I want to get my phone out. We need to talk about that, you know, because that's the problem, you know. And, And so what I've started to realize and what I work hard on now is not all the other stuff, although I do work hard on that, is trying to be present with my kids. However I do it, whether that means each and every day, and I do do this, uh, I tell my wife and my kids when when the phone is going to be away and I'm going to be out there and I ain't going to do no work stuff. And, you know, I, 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 I won't do stuff in the evening and I won't do stuff on the weekend. I, I just won't do it because my eldest kid, my eldest child now, Gracie, she's 14, nearly 15, and I missed a lot and I missed a lot and I won't do it. I won't do it, you know, and I can't change that. So I won't do that with my younger kids who are now like four and you know, nearly five and three. So for me, you know, that experience is, it, it all comes back to that presence about being present, you know, and it, a fair play to, you know, I've got to give a massive shout out to my wife because for all the things I've just told you, I still go down the other route. Yeah. Get busy. Oh yeah. And my wife says to me, I'll go, look, I've got this thing and it's going to be on a weekend or it's going to be in an evening, but it's big. She says, I don't care. And I don't care how much money it is and nor do the kids. And I go, you're right. And listen, there's every now and then I'll break that and do something in the evening, but I'll make sure I make up for it, you know? Um, so it's been, you know, it was such an important experience to have, really. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that, you, that you've said in that I can really resonate with. And even being present, I mean, you were showing me up in some of your stuff then because I, I find it very difficult still, still to do, but I sort of try and do my best. But, you know, my eldest son loves Fortnite and... There was a while when I had a profile and I'm just playing. I don't know what I'm doing on Fortnite, but I'm playing the game just because I know that he enjoys it. You know, that's how I can sort of uh, connect with him. And my younger one loves playing soccer, football. And my wife was telling me off last week, uh, one of his games saying, why did you have to shout so bloody loud? It's like everyone can hear him. Like, but no one is going to shout louder and sort of support um, more for, for the team than me, just because I feel that I, I want to sort of cherish those, those moments. Mm. And, and other than you um, picked up on, which I've also felt, so when my oldest son, my oldest son was born in the UK, actually in the same hospital where I was born, and I wow. held him for the first time, I said to my friend um, Stuart one time, I said, you know, I realised that I've, at that moment, I held my son longer than what my dad had ever held me because he sort of never, never held me. Wow. Um, and I didn't know the effect it had on Stuart. I heard from his mum where his mum said to me, she said, Simon, that really affected Stuart when you sort of told him that. But Josh, you know, you're now going back 10 years. And at the time, I would never really tell anyone that just because it just wasn't, again, it wasn't in my makeup to really have those safe spaces and, and discuss it. Whereas it's taken me a long time in my life now to get to the point where I will talk about those things and I, and I will share and can sort of share it on my podcast and stuff. So it does take a while for us, doesn't it, to, to really understand that true meaning of life and what, it, what does fatherhood mean, particularly when you haven't had those, those role models and mm. stuff. Yeah. Fascinating, yeah. And, 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 you know, not to mention that in schools, we literally teach everybody. We're telling kids, you've got to have everything figured out by the time you're 18, right? I, I was yeah. taught that at school. If you don't leave here with great, good, great, your life's going to be a mess. Like, you need to get sorted. You need to get sorted, right? And then so you scramble around for all of your life and then, I think what happens is you get to your 30s and you start to realize, hang on a minute, we're all 
we're all winging the hell out of this. That's, you know, been my experience. Nobody knows what they're doing, you know? And then you start to come back and you start thinking, all the dads are struggling, you know? Yeah. All the dads don't know what they're doing are out on a win. And it's you funny know? you say it because it is, it's now the opposite way. Whenever I meet someone and they're making out, oh, my life is amazing. I've done this. I'm like, you're hiding something. You know, yeah. Because there was a time when in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, uh, I wanted to outwardly project that my life was perfect. Simon has it together. Simon can deal with his stuff. Whereas inside I was, you know, being eaten alive. And so yeah. I see those men now and they're easier to spot, aren't they? I think, and, you know, it ties into our conversation of fatherhood, but they're easier to spot for us where, you know, letting our guard down, being vulnerable, telling people about things that we've done in the past and we've, we've got regrets. I mean, I will, I'll walk into a room of 300 people and tell you the top five things I've done wrong in my life if you really want to ask the question. You know, mm. rewind 10 years ago, I'd never have done that. But it allows mm. me, by doing that, it allows me to connect with people on a greater level and hopefully mm. be more open for my two young sons to, to see that. But yeah, you know, dad exactly. doesn't know who he is. Exactly. And when you can like, like out yourself, you can't, you can't lose because when you out yourself, you own everything. You know, like I say to you, I struggle to be present with my kids. Like I'm a, I know that. And by admitting that to myself, I can work on it. And nobody's got anything on me because I know who I am. It's a bit like, um, do you know what just came into my head? You ever watched Eight Mile? The yes, yeah, film? yeah, yeah. You know, at the end when he does, he does the, he's going up against the guy. I don't remember the film clearly, but he does the, the rap. And right at the end, yeah. when it's his turn, or he raps, he does everything that the guy could say about him. He says himself, doesn't he? I do yes. live at home in a trailer with my mum. He says all of that. Yes. And mate, yeah. he chokes, and he, the guy chokes, and he chokes because. Eminem in it's owned everything and he's gone you've got nothing on me now because I'm telling you all of that and that's who I am and it's like I think that like that's quite symbolic of when you start to own all of your stuff owning it doesn't mean that you get it all figured out it just means that you know it's all there yeah and I love what you said there because another line came from one of Eminem's and I like him but I'm terrible remembering names of songs but he did one a couple of years ago but it's going back to what's his mum's it's, no, Kim's his wife. Was not come what his mum's called. I don't know. Mom, most of his family is named in his in his songs, but he yeah. he does a song about his mum. Basically, saying that he doesn't sort of perform. I think it's going to be clean out my closet. One of his songs anymore because it's all anti his mum. Mm. Um, but he sort of in his one of his songs he thanks her for being his mum and his dad. And I think in this conversation of fatherhood, I think it's also important that there's women out there like my mum who did an amazing job, but she had to be a man and a woman trying to trying to sort of navigate a lot of this stuff. So I think whether you're uh, you've got an absent father or you're trying to seek validation from from a man who might not necessarily be engaged in your life, uh, women do play a big part in the roles of sort of shepherding us to become the men that we are today for sure. Yeah, 100%. Like you know, I can't say I can't speak highly enough of my mum, you know, and what she did and how she dealt with it and how she got through it and the way that she showed up to life and what she did for us because parenthood is 24 seven, right? You know that it's not, it's not, and it's hard enough when there's two of you going at it, right? It's hard enough when there's two of you going at it. And I, you know, to any parent that raises children on their own, you know, on a regular basis, you know, I, I think there's some of the, they've got to be some of the best people in the world because I'm at breaking point trying to do it with two of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes my wife would disappear away and she's like, don't let them spend all night just like sat on their iPads and stuff. And like, yeah, okay, you know, and then she knows I'll be hiding away in the office and they'll be on their games and stuff. And it, you, you need a course correct every now and again and women are very good at doing that to us. It, that's, that's, and I think that's, you know, we, we might be generalizing somewhat, but I think in a lot of relationships, yeah, my wife holds the reins, mate. She holds the reins in parenting, yeah. Like you say, when oh, yeah. when when it's just me, there's a slight sense of we're getting through it until your mum gets back. <laughs> right? Let's do what let's do what we've got to do until mum comes home and then yeah. she'll sort it. Right. And I, look, I don't know I look, I don't know if that's because I never had a dad or if lots of dads are like that. But these are the kind of conversations that are needed, right? Because they're real and they're just these are the these are the realities of it all, right? It's funny, I'm smiling because you're right. I mean, when my wife comes home, it's normally like a bomb's hit the kitchen and stuff, there's stuff everywhere. And it's like, what what has gone on the last couple of hours? So it, it is funny. <laughs> yeah. So just talking back about your own personal dad again. So, you know, you've now gone on to be a father of, of six kids. You know, at the time, there was mostly feelings and emotions about your dad, um, how you might have felt, how you might not have been praised. But when you reflect back, Knowing what you know now, Josh, I mean, did your dad have it easy because you battled addiction and stuff yourself? What, what would you, what's your sense of where your dad was in his space as he was trying to sort of navigate fatherhood himself? You know, look, firstly, one of the things I'd quickly say is to, actually what I struggled with with my dad is I never allowed myself to feel any um, bad, ill feelings towards him. So what I did is I buried all the other stuff and just used to kind of package it nicely and always say that, you know, he was fine. He was doing his best. He had a problem. It wasn't his fault, all that stuff. So I actually needed to explore the other emotions, which were feeling let down by him and feeling some of the others, right? So that I, I was slightly different in that sense. But what I would say now is understanding his story is that he suffered from the same thing as I did, which, which was untreated trauma. And, you know, I, I have a lot of compassion for him for that. And I went on to have the same struggles and I know how hard it can be. There'll always be a bit of me that will, will, there'll always be a bit of me. And no matter how much I don't want there to be or how much compassion I get, there will always be a bit of me that thinks, I stopped in the end though. I stopped and he didn't. And why is that? And ultimately the truth to that question is, the real answer to that question is, is that we may never know fully because if we did, no one would, no one would, die, would die of addiction. And we're so far away from not nobody dying from it, right? So, so if we knew what that magic shot was that changes people, you know, and I can talk to the cows come home about what it was for me, but the truth is, is I know people that have died as a result of, of, of their addiction who wanted to get well just as much as me, you know? They were, so it wasn't about how much they wanted it. And I know I lost a friend last year just before the pandemic, took his own life, same age as me, we got sober together and he went back to it and he wanted it as much as I did, you know, and it, and we were, we were wounded in very similar ways. So what's the difference between me and him? I, the truth is, is I can't, I can't tell you that it's something to do with me. Do you know what I mean by that? It, yeah. I don't know what it is. And, and, and it's interesting because as you were talking about that, Josh, one thing that was coming to my mind is that, you know, a lot of our conversations have been centered around it, you know, feeling that validation, that love, that acceptance of a father who may in any form might not be there. But I said this to someone recently, it's actually very freeing, Josh, for me. So, I mean, I'm 43 this year, 
for many years, all I really wanted was to have a dad in my life, you know, someone who can take me to football, can do these things and give me that validation and give me that pat on the back and actually say, you know, well done. Because for me, I don't feel that there's enough well dones in my life. But the way I look at it, Josh, is those are my emotions. There's nothing that I can change now mm. um, about my upbringing. You know, I believe my, my dad is dead. That, that is gone. There's, there's nothing that can be changed there. And when I came to that point in my mind, it's become very um, freeing because it's not about him. It's actually about me. Mm. So um, rather than seeking outward validation of anyone, do I really validate myself? When people mm. are saying to me, you can't do that, do I think in my mind, yes, I can? Because I've always had that in there, but I've really unleashed it, Josh, and I can do anything that I put my mind to be in business, you know, life, relationship. I've just got to be committed and I've got to want to do it because I have to validate myself. It's never going to come from anyone else, which is going to be enough to reach my, my level. Does that make sense, mate? It does make sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's what we have to understand about our emotions is that, you know, they're all valid and they all make sense. We don't need, you know, we don't, it's not about finding people to validate that for us, but understanding them, right? And this is the resilience work that I do, understanding my feelings, my emotions, my struggles, and making sure I get my needs met, whatever they are. Right. And I find a way to do that now in a way that serves me and serves the people that I care about the most. And I do that by, by, by seeing my emotions without judgment and actually, you know, understand, like you say, there's times when I still want it. I want, you know, I'd love a dad to go, oh, you've done it. Like, it's amazing what you've achieved. Right. I recognize I still want that. But I also now recognize that I can do it for myself and my family. So I take the power in that want and that desire because there's power in it. Right. There's sadness in there, a little bit of anger, you know, all of the kind of, all of that. I take it, I see it and I use that. And you go, you know what? I'm going to use the power in that to make sure that that doesn't happen to my children and I create a new legacy. And for me, that's, you know, it, it sort of encompasses what I talk about when I say resilient. Yeah, it's great. Um, Josh, as we sort of start to close out then, um, for any men that might be listening, I mean, where do, where do people create that safe space? Because like I said, I, I've, I'm a bit prejudiced towards the Brits because I, you know, I am still British, but I know a lot of men over there don't want to talk um, and they're not open. How, how, do, how do men create more of a safe space where they can say, hey, I am struggling or this is going on in my life and it doesn't become these big secrets as in, yeah, I'm okay. When, when you're not, you're okay. Well, I think, you need, what have you worked out during your life there? I think there's more spaces now that are starting to pop up for men uh, in, in England and in the UK. But like They are starting to pop up, but they need to be almost quite fabricated at the beginning to help us all to understand what they look and feel like, right? So you, you're talking literally like men's groups online, but then to start to connect, and I have a lot of people in my life today now, men in my life who I get vulnerable with regularly. You know, I have a regular call. I've got a friend of mine, Pat, uh, will be on a call tomorrow morning, eight o'clock in the morning, and that space is there for nothing else other than to have a bit of a vent, you know, vent about what we're struggling with, talk about what's going on in our lives and be there for one another, right? And I've learned that through different types of men's groups. I went to 12-step fellowships originally. So, so finding, you know, if we can create those kind of spaces so that men can experience them, I think they'll take them away and start to integrate it into their life. Yeah, Josh, I mean, you are a, a font of all knowledge. You're an interesting and intriguing guy, I must say. I mean, I love how you turn everything around in the work that you do. Um, so maybe just tell my listeners a little bit about where can they find you and how can they sort of um, interact with you if they like what they've heard you talk about today? 
probably the best thing to do is go to my, my website's just joshconnelly.co.uk. Um, all my social links are on there. Probably most busy on Instagram, which is just josh underscore ffw. And yeah, come and find me. I, 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 I do a lot online, so I'm very, very reachable. Well, Josh, uh, been an honor and a privilege to talk to you today. I'm really excited and I hope there's a, a way for us to do some more work on this subject together in the future. So I'm going to throw it out there. So it's committed. I'd love to try and see if we can, we can work and do some more stuff surrounding um, fatherhood. So. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Brilliant. Good. Sound, sound, sound really excited about it, Josh. I'll just, I'll just put you in the corner there. Now you go. <laughs> that was more know, like, oh my, was a, this yeah, is like yeah, the best idea something. I've ever had. Ever, let, let's do it. I'm, let's I'm do on it. board. I, I like it. I'm going to hold that one. Do, that's the one that's going to make the final cut, Josh. Where you go. Do you, do you know <laughs> what? I was actually thinking very quickly. I'll tell you. Uh, we want to get like co-hosts on our podcast, me and Hass. Right. Uh, so 115 miles, maybe. Maybe it'd be good to get you on as a co-host yeah, on yeah, there. Should, yeah, yeah, I should try and do that. That's a, that's a good idea. Good idea. Well, Josh Connolly, thank you for joining me. You take care over there, brother. Thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast. To help spread this inspiring story, be sure to share it with your friends, hit the like button, and of course, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes. We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you. So leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests, or Simon, head over to simonosimo slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast.